0: We've been looking at the book of Acts, and the, the nominal title for today is uh, Family at Prayer. Um, yeah, it is. So it's not 100% clear. Uh, it will be available on social media platforms of your choice later on. Um, I looked through the book of Acts. Modern technology is wonderful. You can go onto a, a thing called Bible Gateway or something like that and just. Pop a word in, tell it to search for it, and it comes up with hundreds of references. And then you can filter that down. I looked at the word prayer, praise, prayed um, in Acts, and it came up with dozens and dozens of references. So rather than going through every single one of them, which would be great fun, but would take us probably till next week without going home, um, I'm just going to read out a few of the highlights. But first, just to kind of set the scene, um, Acts is a book in the Bible. Just to kind of establish that one. Um, Acts is like a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. You've heard of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. So Acts uh, was written probably, they think, by the same chap that wrote Luke. Probably Luke, who was the, I presume, a doctor. So quite a smart fella. Um, and this is his kind of follow-up to his Gospel. And it takes place just after the resurrection. Just after Jesus has ascended back into heaven. And then the church is kind of sitting around going, Oh, what now and Luke tells us So it's it's often seen as the history of the early church I think the phrase early church is hilarious because those of us who have been around churches for long enough know that church is never early (laughs) it's always at least 20 minutes later than you think it's going to be speaking of which sorry I'm just going to moan ever so slightly we start here at half past 10 on a Sunday morning just letting you know that Half past ten, um, so that you can talk, so that you can have a coffee and some of the wonderful hippo-shaped ginger biscuits, Julie. Fabulous. Um, so that we can do a bit of fellowship and so that we can do a bit of sharing and finding out and finding out what God's been doing in one another's lives before we start sort of the pay attention and listen. But just throwing that out there. Okay. Um, The book of Acts is quite an exciting book. If you've never read it, I would suggest you do. It's got murder, intrigue, politics, earthquakes, shipwrecks, miracles, and a bit of a travelogue of the known world. From Israel to Italy, Jerusalem to Rome. The main characters are Peter and Paul. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Paul is another bloke who started off as a baddie. And then meets Jesus and turns into, wow, He goes from Saul, which was his name originally, to Paul, after he meets Jesus. You can read about that yourself. We don't have time to go into all the ins and outs of that. But Peter and Paul basically start the church. And then Paul goes off on various holidays, sorry, uh, missionary journeys, and uh, he goes all over the place. He ends up in Rome, which if you had to go there by boat and horse or walk in this long, long way, as far as it's 20 minutes on EasyJet to somewhere 200 miles outside of Rome... um, but it was a big journey in those days and that's where the shipwrecks and all the rest of it came into. And you went to all sorts of places. You've probably been in your holidays all around the Adriatic and uh, Cyprus and Greece and Turkey. All these kind of places. Um, the thing to remember is that this is the story of a church which is now mostly non-Jewish but it grew from the life, teachings, example, death, resurrection and ascension of a Jewish rabbi. Jesus was Jewish, just again, just in case you'd forgotten that, Jesus was a Jew, still is. That's kind of important, and we'll find out a little bit later on why that's so important. So anyway, that's the background to Acts, that's what's going on, um, I just again, I've just looked through all the various... Um, instances of the word pray or prayed or prayer in the Acts. And there's a couple of things that came sort of shrieking out is that in Acts, the prayer life of the church was corporate, almost exclusively corporate in terms of Acts at any rate. Now, Acts is a kind of book about, it's a history it's a book about a kind of group of people it's not a book about individuals particularly so it's not surprising then that all the references to prayer are about when these groups of individuals got together, but it's, no, it's noticeable that there's lots of lessons we can learn about how we do prayer as a church from looking at how Acts did it first of all, they prayed a lot Paul uses words like continually or sorry, Luke uses words like continually or united or together they prayed at set times. Okay? So they had habits relating to prayer. They didn't just pray when all everything else went to pot and it was time to break the glass, it's time to ask God. They, they got together regularly to pray. Just another plug for the power hour on a Sunday night, the engine room on a Tuesday morning, and any other instances where we get together to pray. It's a good habit to get into. They had set places for prayer. There's a wonderful little story where they went out to look for somewhere to pray and they expected people to be praying at this certain place down by the river. And they went down there and it was all women who were praying. Don't know what the men were doing? Well, there you go. The women had met to pray anyway. So they had set times, set places, set routines for prayer. They prayed before amazing things happened. Or maybe we should say they prayed and then amazing things happened. They prayed after amazing things had happened as sometimes you forget to do. know something really, really, really good happens and you think, "Whoa, that's amazing, fantastic, you! And you forget to say thank you because you're just so caught up in the moment. I like to think, I might be on shaky ground here, that my joy and my happiness is somehow or other transmuted to heaven as a prayer of thanks. But I think it probably would be better if I actually just said it. So the next time something wonderful happens in your life, and I hope it is tomorrow, maybe even this afternoon, um, that you remember to say thank you. Anyway, so they prayed with teaching. Prayer and something, or something and prayer is mentioned all the way through Acts. Prayer and teaching. Prayer and healing. Prayer and laying hands on people. Prayer and, read it carefully, fasting. Prayer and kneeling. We sing about kneeling all that. We sang about kneeling this morning. I can't remember the last time I knelt in prayer. Now there are issues with that. It's about called getting back up again afterwards. But there you go, that attitude of worship, that attitude of submission to God in prayer, whether it's physical or whether it's just in your heart, kneeling to pray. And in generosity and prayer, prayer and giving. We're going to look a little bit bit more about that later on as well. They prayed before they sent people out to do something really important. We want something really important done, we better pray about this and choose the right people. So they did. We want to leave these people to do this really important job, so we better pray for them first too. So prayer before you send something, prayer before you leave something in somebody else's hands. And they prayed with expectation. Most of the time. There was one very funny occasion when they were praying desperately for Peter and Paul to get out of prison. Peter and Paul, Peter and John to get out of prison. Um, and they were desperately praying. They were having a prayer meeting to get everybody around. They were praying, they were praying, oh, get them out of prison, get them out of prison, get them out of prison. They came at the door, we're out of prison. Shh, we're praying. No, oh, we're out of prison, it's us, we're out. shh. And they hadn't realised that they'd actually had the prayers answered. They were so busy praying for them. So most of the time, they prayed with expectation. They prayed about everything, basically. They prayed for to get ready for the kingdom. That's what the prayers just before Pentecost were all about. When they met together in the upper room, what are we going to pray for? We want Jesus to come back. We want the Holy Spirit. We want the life that Jesus promised. They prayed as part of a new spirit-filled church. They prayed for healing For signs and wonders to enable the preaching of the gospel they prayed as an offering they prayed that new believers would receive the holy spirit they prayed for repentance they prayed to choose people they prayed to in in, and to encourage other people to keep on the good work the prayers of the early church are characterized by their ambition by their outward focus Even when they were praying against persecution, they were under the cost. The church was scattered. One of the reasons the church spread so quickly was because actually they were persecuted. They ran away. And by running away, they took the gospel with them all round the known world. But their prayers were focused on on mission, on outside. When they were under the cost, when they were getting a hard time for being Christians, what did they pray for? Did they pray for revenge? No. Did they pray for safety? No. Did they pray for favour for it all just to kind of calm down? No, they prayed that there would be miracles and healings. Right. So the next time you're having a really hard time because somebody at works picking on you because you're a Christian, or because something else is, you're not going to pray that this person hits the bus. You're not going to pray that that person just changes their mind. You're not going to pray that that person has a, has a difficult day and then turns to Jesus and in repentance. You're going to pray for heals, for healing, and for miracles and wonders in your workplace. That's how you deal with persecution. That's how the early church did it. So their prayer life was missional. It wasn't about shopping lists. It wasn't about me, me, me. It wasn't about revenge. It wasn't about safety. And it certainly wasn't praying for an amazing half-time turnaround in the rugby. (laughs) Nearly. So, so that was it. That was Basically, I was going to speak at that for quite a long time, but I, then I realised there was more than I needed to say this morning. So I've rattled through that. I've got five minutes to do the next bit. Can I have the next slide up, please, gentlemen? I want to introduce you to somebody. His name is Cornelius. Now, you might never have heard of Cornelius. Put your hand up if you've heard of Cornelius before. A few of you. Good. You've read your Bibles. Excellent. Now, Cornelius was an interesting man. Um, he was the baddie. Okay? If you were a Jew living in Israel around about the time that Cornelius and Paul and Peter and all these people were around, Cornelius was the baddie. He was a Roman. Not only was he a Roman, he was an, uh, from the Italian regiment. So he was a proper Roman. He wasn't like your... Um, what's the guy's name out of um, Gladiator? Maximus Glutamus or whatever his name was. No? Maximus something or other. Um, now he wasn't a real Roman. He wasn't from, even from Italy. This guy, Cornelius... Was a Roman Roman, so he was kind of impressive in his Romanness, and he was the occupying army. Right, so basically, like a foreign country comes over here, invades us, sets up their own customs, tells you to worship Caesar instead of your own gods, and basically tells you if you step out of line. That's who Cornelius was. But he met an angel. He received words of knowledge. He spread the good news about Jesus. He obeyed the Holy Spirit. This is the baddie. Remember the bad guy? He was baptised. He received the Holy Spirit. And this is the thing I just want to talk about for about five minutes. His prayers and gifts to the poor were seen by God and considered an offering. Now, I was going to pick in Ricky here, but he seems to have his arms full. Josh, come here a minute. No, I'm Sorry. <laughs> This is my friend Joss, everybody, Joss, Hi, yeah. Joss, everybody, Joss, you don't, you, you, this is going to be entirely unscripted, okay, so you don't need to say anything if you don't want to, but it might be better if you didn't, okay, okay? this is my friend Joss, I love Joss to bits, he's one of my favourite people in the whole world, Joss, give me a tenner, uh... Joss is wonderful, I, I couldn't say enough about Joss, he's so nice, Joss, can I borrow your car? Thank you very much. Joss is wonderful. I mean, I have to say, Joss is just the nicest person in the whole world. If it wasn't for Joss, I don't know where I'd be. He's just amazing. Can I borrow your house? Joss is just amazing. I love Joss. I could write poetry about Joss. I could sing songs all about Joss. Go on then. 50 quid? Uh, 20 pound? Yeah. What, what do you want me to say? Nothing's fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Very you well, may well, sit well, down well. there. Right. Sorry to pick on you like that. Now, for a lot of people, that's our relationship with Jesus, with God. I love you. You're wonderful. Give me something. I think you're amazing. You're absolutely wonderful. I will sing praises to you. I will sing songs to you And if you do this for me. I love you, Jesus, because you have done this for me. I love you, Jesus, because I want, I need, can I have, please. And that's our relationship. Now, if I had a real relationship like that with anybody, it would be disastrous. I don't imagine Josh, who is one of the most patient people I ever met, would. We, I think he'd lose his plate, the, the rag eventually with me. He's nodding furiously. Um, and yet, that's sometimes our relationship with God when we pray. God, at best for some of us, and this is, I'm talking to myself as much as anything else, is like a fire alarm. You know, in case of emergency break, glass. Right? And then you've got to speak to Jesus. Oh, no! it's all over the place again. Break the glass. Jesus, help! Do this for me. Stop this from happening. You know, get me a parking space. Because I've actually just farted around all morning and now I'm late. You know, and we do that. And we see Jesus as a kind of of get-out-of-jail-free clause. We see Jesus uh, as an answer to quick prayers because something's gone wrong, usually our own fault. What I love about Cornelius is that his prayers... Now, this is not just prayers, but listen to this. It's always prayers and gifts to the poor. I think there's a connection between these two, other than just the and. His prayers and gifts were seen by God and considered an offering. I was thinking this morning when we were sitting through in the me room praying, I, I had the word disappointment in my head. Maybe quite a few of us are disappointed this morning. We came into church this morning a wee bit disappointed with God. He was not coming through with the things we thought he said he would give us. We've been praying for things for years and they haven't happened. I don't think there's probably a person in the room here who doesn't feel a little bit of that from time to time in their life, if not all the time. And this may not be a huge encouragement to you, but it should be. Because all those prayers... The bitter, twisted, little, nasty prayers when it's really gone wrong. The big, fat, fluffy, bouncy prayers when it's all going remarkably well. And all the ones in between. The muttered prayers on your way out the door or the way inside the door. The little prayers you mention just as you're about to do something important. You realise you haven't had to pray about it yet. But you should should have done. You said, Jesus, could you backdate these for about an hour ago to make me seem holier? Those prayers are heard. They don't just bounce off the ceiling, they don't just bounce off the walls, or they don't just echo in space between your ears. Those prayers are heard by a loving Heavenly Father who just loves to hear you talk to Him. It's not really about the answers. And I know that's hard if that answer is breaking your heart because it's not arriving. But it's not... It's about the fact that you are prepared to take the time, make the effort to keep that dialogue going with Jesus, with the Father, through the power of the Spirit, all the time. And that's your offering. God looks at that and says, that's good. It might not be articulate, it might not be poetic, it might not be tuneful, it might not be beautiful, but it's you, and you talking to your Father. And he looks down at you and says, that's great, thank you. I need to hear that, because I have a relationship with God quite like my relationship with Joss. I'm really happy with God when he does what I want. And when he doesn't do what I want, I go in the huff. I have the relationship with God a wee bit like a two-year-old. When everything's going great, it's fantastic. It's all jelly and ice cream and wonder. Then it's bedtime. Or then you fall and bang your knee. Or then, you know, the the red cup you really, really, really want to drink out of isn't available, and a yellow cup just won't do. No way. It's got to be red. I always drink from the red cup. And that's my relationship with God. Sometimes it's like a toddler having a tantrum, and if I don't get what I want, I go in a huff. And what does God do? Does He kind of tut? Do I get put on the naughty step? Maybe I should. Do I get sent to bed early without any jelly or ice cream? Not that we ever had ice cream in the evenings, obviously that would be irresponsible parenting. Um, No, God says, you're talking to me, wonderful! You really ought to do that more though, and then maybe we'd have a better relationship if we talked more often, more regularly, more intimately, and maybe you listened and you just enjoyed being a child of God, if you just enjoyed being in the presence of God. So I think Cornelius is hugely important because he taught me that my prayers and gifts to the poor. I've, I haven't mentioned the gifts to the poor, but this is really important. right? Every time this story is recounted in the Bible, and Cornelius experiences it firsthand, then he tells his pals, and then his pals tell Paul, Peter, sorry, Peter. So the story is recounted three times. Each time is prayers and gifts to the poor. Not gifts to the church, not gifts by standing order to an organisation somewhere or other that does nice things, you think, but you're never quite sure because you've forgotten where they are. Gifts to the poor. There is a real connection between what we ask God for and how we relate and dialogue with him and what we do. We need not to forget that. So Cornelius, apart from anything else, is wonderful for teaching me that. But I think as well, Cornelius was the first non-Jewish Christian. That's recorded. If it wasn't for Cornelius, we wouldn't be here. Think about that for a wee minute. He was a Gentile. He was the baddie. He was somebody that the Jewish people ought not to like. In fact, Peter said, I shouldn't even be coming to your house because of who you are, what you do, and what you represent. I should hate you. But Peter had just been shown a dream about all the stuff you're not supposed to eat and God said, it's alright, you can eat that now and then just to test them, he had the bad guy turn up at his doorstep, or the bad guy's representatives, and said to him, "Right, okay, you've had that dream, you've seen all the stuff you're not supposed to do I'm now telling you it's okay all that stuff that was unclean is now clean, God says so anything that God says is clean, is clean it's kind of old weird Jewish stuff going on and then the Roman warrior Chief occupying army representatives turns up at, the, at Peter's door and says, Remember that dream you had? i just checking to see if you really mean it, if you really got it. And Peter did. Bless him just as well for us that he did, because all of a sudden it stopped being this kind of small Jewish sect and became us. It stopped just being religion with all the do's and don'ts and the haves and haves nots and the musts and mustn'ts to become in freedom in Jesus freedom in the Holy Spirit, freedom in Christ to live and to spread the gospel and then it took off right across the known world right, I'm going to stop now because we've run out of time but I just, I just want that to be encouraged encouragement to you as it was to me when I read the story of that, that's it <laughs> anyone get 50p? <laughs> meters gone Sorry, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, I think for, for a lot of us, our prayer life is just a continual list of things that we need God to do for us. And God wants to do stuff for you. Please don't think that that's the opposite of the truth. God does want to do stuff. But you might often say, so you don't really need that. This is what you really need. You know, uh, or you'll, you might say, wait. But those prayers are, no, are never ignored. They are never unheard. All the prayers you make are heard. And they're counted as an offering to God. No no such thing as a wasted prayer. Not one. I think we should pray. Father God. If every utterance that comes out of our mouth directed to you is an offering, then perhaps our offering is a bit rubbish and a bit occasional. And perhaps sometimes a wee bit brief. So Father, encourage us to pray more. Fill our hearts with a desire to talk to you. That's all it is. You want relationship with us. You know what's on our minds. You know what we're already thinking. You know what we're going to ask for. You just want us to talk to you. So Father, give us that desire to do that. Give us a desire to hear you speaking in the gaps between our requests to you and father give us as well a desire to read the bible you know for those of us who say, God never says in to me I don't hear anything you have communicated so loud and so clear in this book that you've given us help us to read that to see what it is you want us to do but father help us to talk to communicate, to listen and to have a relationship with you Amen